0: and welcome to episode 24 of our weekly podcast, That's One for the History Books. I'm Marty Cohn. My good friend and co-host, you, Ryan, and I are profiling Americans who made important contributions to our country, but who have not received the popular credit that we think they deserve. Today, we are discussing a little-known attorney, who wrote one of the most important laws enabling conviction and incarceration of major, sophisticated crime figures ranging from mafia dons to corrupt politicians.
1: Our subject is G. Robert Blakey, and his important contribution to American jurisprudence is the RICO Act, RICO being an acronym that stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations. The RICO Act has made possible the conviction and incarceration of big-time criminals across the country, criminals who previously walked free. Blakey was actually suggested to me as a podcast subject by a college roommate and history major at Georgetown, which raises another point I'd like to make. If any listener has a suggestion about an overlooked American hero, let us know on Spotify. Good idea, you.
0: Although I've not heard of Blakey Either I certainly know about the RICO Act. I remember Rudy Giuliani making his his reputation by breaking up the New York mob with RICO prosecutions of the heads of the five crime families. Giuliani was U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, that provided the platform for his successful run for mayor of New York City on the Republican Party ticket, no less. Ironically, as we record this podcast in October of 2023. Giuliani himself has been indicted under Georgia's state RICO law. He stands accused of participating in a conspiracy to illegally alter the outcome of the 2020 presidential election in that state.
1: Plus, another federal prosecutor, followed by the name of John Gleason, used the RICO statute to scrape the protective coating off the Teflon Don, John Gotti. Gotti was so named because no accusation had ever stuck to him. In three trials, Gotti was found not guilty of crimes he most certainly committed. He was able to do so pre-RICO by eliminating any direct, provable connection between him and the crimes he directed his underlings to commit. Gotti was able to beat the system until Blakey provided prosecutors with this devastating new tool of justice. After the RICO prosecution, the jury slapped guilty verdicts on Gotti for murder, racketeering, illegal gambling, bribery, loan sharking, tax fraud, and other felonies. As a result, Gotti died in the U.S. Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri. He died of throat cancer, appropriately enough, because he had ruthlessly silenced everyone who could have testified against him.
0: So so what makes the RICO Act such a
1: potent weapon, and how did Blakey come to write it? Uh, Both good questions. Let me take the simpler one first. What were the circumstances that led to Blakey's legislative authorship? Working for Senator John McClellan, Chairman of the Committee on Government Operations, Blakey wrote the Organized Crime Control Act of 1970. Title IX of that law is known as the RICO Act. This earned Blakey the moniker father of the RICO Act. He also wrote 22 of the more than 30 state RICO laws that followed on the federal law. I haven't been able to determine whether he wrote George's RICO law, which may prove to be Giuliani's undoing, and conceivably even ex-President Trump's undoing.
0: Well, that answers my first question. My second question is, what makes RICO such a powerful tool for
1: prosecutors? Well, not being a lawyer myself, I'm gonna rely on the US Justice Department to answer your question, Marty. Quoting the website of the Office of Justice Programs, the power of RICO lies in its conspiracy provision based on an enterprise rationale that reveals a pattern of racketeering among apparently unrelated crimes. It's a lot of lawyerly jargon, so it probably bears repeating. The power of RICO lies in its conspiracy provision, based on an enterprise rationale that allows prosecutors to tie together apparently unrelated crimes.
0: Now, I believe a corrupt politician in your very own backyard
1: embroiled himself in a pattern of racketeering. Oh, yes, indeed. You must be referring to the late Providence Mayor, Vincent A. Buddy Cianci. It would take an entire Ken Burns documentary, Marty, to paint a portrait of De Cianci. He was a politician and public servant of great charisma, high achievement for the federal good, and depraved financial corruption and personal criminality. The judge in his RICO trial characterized him as a living, breathing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Read his obituary in the Providence Journal. No friend of his, He used to denigrate the newspaper as the Providence pamphlet. But read his obituary there and you will see an extensive catalog of transformative change he affected in the commercial downtown and the residential neighborhoods of the city that quite obviously he really loved. He was as engaging and charming as Bill Clinton and would appear uninvited and unexpected at any parade, reception, convocation, graduation, wedding, bar mitzvah, any time and place where people gathered. It used to be said that he would attend the opening of an envelope.
0: (laughs) I I believe you had an experience
1: once with his proclivity to appear unexpectedly. Uh, Yes. I had Roger Williams University in suburban Providence as a client for my public relations practice for about 10 years. One time we invited then Mayor Cianzo, who was also a lawyer, to receive an honorary degree from the university's law school. Cianci said he would accept if he could deliver the commencement address, but we already had a speaker. So that arrangement fell through. As the faculty and graduates were forming for their entrance parade, Cianci's limo pulled up, complete surprise, and he emerged in cap and gown. He joined the parade, marched up on the stage, and seated himself with the honorary degree recipients. So he quickly slipped in an extra chair and found a blank degree for the dean to present to him. At the appropriate time, Sienzi stepped forward, accepted the degree. He then elbowed the dean aside, took his place at the podium, and proceeded to deliver his own commencement address. That was quintessential buddy Cianci. Hey, that's a funny story, but, but he sounds like a clown. I understand that, but he was no clown. He was an entertainer. He hosted both radio and TV shows during periods when he was out of politics, but he was a serious politician and an effective agent of progressive reform and economic and civic development in Providence. As an Italian-American Republican, he broke the 150-year stranglehold that the Irish-American Democrats had maintained on the Providence mayorship, And he did that at age 33. In 1976, there were, were reports that If Gerald Ford won re-election, Cianci would be Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. 20 years later, the American Association of Government Officials named him America's most innovative mayor.
0: So how in the world did he wind up on the wrong end of a RICO prosecution?
1: Well, it was actually the second of two criminal trials he faced, and by far the more serious of the two. Although the first was bad enough, in 1984, he left the mayoralty after pleading no contest to snatching and torturing his ex-wife's lover with a smoldering fireplace log and a lit cigarette.
0: Wait, that was, that
1: was the less
0: serious trial?
1: Uh, yes. He had a five-year suspended sentence and actually returned to office in 1991. Then, in 2001, Cianci and four of his associates were indicted on federal racketeering charges. It was a 30-count RICO indictment, charged him with bribery, extortion, and other criminal conduct that prosecutors alleged permeated city government. His conviction the next year was an example of the power and reach of the enterprise rationale that we spoke of in the RICO statute. He was convicted on a single count of racketeering conspiracy, even though he was acquitted of the 11 other counts for such underlying crimes as mail fraud, bribery, and extortion. So absent Blakey's contribution to American jurisprudence, Cianci would likely have skated free. For that one racketeering count, he was sentenced to five years in prison, which he served at the Federal Correction Institution in Fort Dix, New Jersey.
0: So as federal and state prosecutors across the country tried and convicted felons of all sorts under RICO statutes, how did Blakey practice his profession?
1: Well, having made a hugely significant contribution to American jurisprudence, Blakey, a graduate of Notre Dame College and Law School, taught in South Bend for 30 years. He had a stint at Cornell Law School from 1973 to 1980. His courses covered criminal law and procedure, counterterrorism, and jurisprudence. He'll, he also took on occasional litigation assignments, including some of some significance.
0: So as we record this podcast, he is retired at age 87 and still largely unknown. Thanks for listening to this edition of That's One for the History Books. The music, Hat the Jazz by Twin Musicom. Is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to and and rate our podcast and leave a review. And be sure to listen next week when we will discuss Victoria Woodhull, an activist for women's rights and social progress. I'm Marty Cohn with my co host, U Ryan. Stay healthy.